If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We got through with Matthew chapter 5. It only took us six weeks, but we got through with Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be moving on to Matthew chapter 6 today. But we've been we've been in the series called Red Letters and we're looking at the longest recorded message that Jesus gave us in the Bible. And this is uh, they also call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And this is a Jesus sermon to, to us. And to recap where, where we're at, how we got to this point, Matthew's theme of Matthew's gospel, not every gospel has a different theme. Every gospel has kind of a different, um, Luke's was very, very descriptive. Mark's was very action oriented. John's was very much about the relationship between Jesus and us, between God and us, very relational. But Matthew's theme was that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is here in the person of Jesus Christ. The king has come and Jesus has come to bring good news. He taught it opens with the Beatitudes where he talks about how God's blessing will contradict the worldly motivation. He talks about how we're going to be agents of change, salt and light in the world. And then he talks about how our righteousness, the, the topic that Jesus kind of transitions to after he talks about how we're supposed to be salt and light is he talks about righteousness. What does that mean? That means living the right way how we should be living. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to say, yeah, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to make Jesus Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to do what he says to do. I'm going to do all these things. If we want to be the followers of Jesus, how should we be living? What actions should we take? And Jesus says that our righteousness should exceed to that group of people, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. What does that mean? That means the most religious people, you know, you should be more righteous than them. How is that even possible? It's only possible through Jesus. And what he's trying to tell us is, is that we can't just sit back and be thankful for grace and just kind of keep living however we want to live. Instead, no, we like have to dig in and we have to like live the best life that we can possibly live in honor of the work that Jesus has done to us. We talked about anger, how that identifies what's most important to you. And we talked about how Jesus cares a lot about your relationships with other people, almost as much as he cares about your relationship with him. Later on, he said that the two greatest commandments is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we can't just get away with saying, yeah, I follow Jesus, but I'm going to treat other people in my life however I want to treat them. I'm just going to keep acting bad. I'm just going to keep having fractured relationships and things like that. No, we have to do our best. Uh, and Paul later says, as, as, as best as we can live peaceably with everyone, as best as you can live, live peaceably with everyone, because Jesus cares about your relationships. Jesus taught about lust and divorce and, and oaths. And last week we looked at how Jesus elevates kindness beyond simply treating those who are close to us and who agree with us by simply treating those people well. Instead, he says that we are to love our enemies. When you are slighted, when you are wronged, when you have a fractured relationship, we have the option to respond with like this base level of kindness we looked at. But what Jesus teaches us is to go beyond that. Go the second mile. When they ask you to go the first mile, go the second mile. Go beyond being the, 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 the law or the, le the base level of kindness and go beyond that. All of that got us through Matthew chapter five. You guys ready to move on to Matthew chapter six? Let's move on to Matthew chapter six. As human beings, as a person, everyone in here is a human being, right? Everyone in here is a, a yeah, right? Okay. As human beings, we are shaped by narrative. 
We are shaped by narrative. What does that mean? That means that there are stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and there are stories that, that other people have told us about us, like where we come from, how we got here, what we do, how we act as a family, who we are. Like we're shaped by narratives. Narratives provide structure for us to understand and interpret the world. It, it's, it's just a way that we can understand and interpret the world. What are the stories? I just want to ask you the question. What are the stories that you have been told about you that you have been told about you? What are the stories that you have been told about you? Some of you in here, maybe you were told that you were an accident, that your parents weren't expecting you and that you just you're you're here because your parents maybe even made a mistake. Maybe you were told that you're smart and analytical. And so now uh, that you're older, you overanalyze everything and second guess yourself. Is there anyone like that here? Or maybe you were told that you were handsome or pretty when you were younger. So now you think your value is based on how you look and not who you are. Maybe you were told that you would never amount to anything or you were constantly compared to someone else in your family or someone, some other kid in your class. And so now you break your back trying to work harder than everyone else that's around you. See, when we are told these narratives, even when we're especially when we're younger children, when we're told these narratives, we internalize them and they shape who we are as a person. They shape who you are. They shape how you see the world. They shape how you interact with the world. And the Bible is full of narratives like this. The Bible is full of narrative stories that shape who we are. A narrative can be an account of what happened, but the message between the lines shapes how we see ourselves. For example, if your parents told you that you weren't planned on when they were having a kid, when you were conceived, that could just be a simple statement of facts. Like, hey, we, we, we weren't like we weren't quite ready for a kid at that stage of our life. And then you came along. You were a blessing. That's awesome. Cool. That could just be a simply statement of facts. Or you could internalize that, read between the lines, and then you would tell yourself based on that narrative that you're unwanted or unloved. See, narratives shape how we see the world. The narrative shapes the worldview of its recipient. If, if we look at Genesis, uh, like the early part of Genesis, and I've talked to you guys about this before, but, but I'm, I'm just going to bring it back to this. Some people look at Genesis, the, the first part of Genesis, as like a scientific document, like a history book document of like this happened then, this happened then, this happened then. But it, and that's the surface reading on the text. And that's fine. If you want to read it like that, that's fine. But when you look at who Moses was talking to, who they were talking to when Genesis was coming out, the stories that people were being told, these were he. Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And for 400 years, they had been told that there were gods in heaven, multiple gods in heaven that were in conflict with one another. And the reason why they were enslaved was because their God was weaker than the gods of the people that were enslaving them. This was the narrative that they were told. And then they were told that they were a byproduct, that all humanity was this byproduct of this chaos in the cosmos. And this chaos is what caused humans to be here. And the gods hated people and they we annoyed them and we they just constantly were like every time there was a famine or a plague or whatever, like just gods were angry with us. And that was the narrative. But when Moses talks to the people and when when Genesis one comes along and they talk to these Hebrew slaves, they see that God brings order out of chaos. Genesis one, verse one through five. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. There was chaos there. 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the, wa- the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw the light and it was good. And God separated, again, he's bringing order, light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Man wasn't an afterthought or an accident subject to the whims of this scary group of gods in heaven. But instead they were created with love, with an intent and with a purpose ruling creation. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our own image after the light, after our likeness. Again, Trinity uh, language already early on there. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds and over the heavens and the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of man, he created male and female. He created them and God blessed it and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, be filled, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and, uh, and of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In th- verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. The narrative that these people were given about how they got here wasn't that they were some accident. It wasn't that, that there were some gods in heaven that were angry and, and war, warring over each other and one God over this people group and another God over this people group and whoever conquered the other person. No, one God created everything that we knew. And instead of being the cause of the chaos in our world, this God brought order to chaos. This God gave us purpose. This God loves us and created us in his own image. Instead of us being subject to the world around us, no, he put us over the world around us to fill the earth and subdue it. This is the narrative that these people were given. Do you see how narratives shape who we are? Do you see how it shapes us? And so as you today think about the stories that have been told about you, the stories that that you've believed, the the things that you grew up learning and the things that even your parents have said to you or the teachers in your school have said to you, and you think about these things, understand that God's narrative for you is maybe different than the narratives that you've been told. That's different than the narratives you've been told. And so as, as we, we, we see this, we see that God's narrative to us and how we got here is one of love and care and order and intention, shaping our worldview, not only how we see him, but how we see ourselves. See, narratives, they shape us. What are the stories about you that have been told to you? And what are the stories that you tell yourself? What are the stories that you tell yourself? Do you know, um, have you ever met someone where like when they tell a story, they all like you tell a story to them, like they always tell a story about themselves to you. Do you know anybody like that? You know, have you ever met anyone like that? Like you tell a story, like maybe you had something happen to you this week and like maybe you, you, you blew out a tire on the freeway, right? And so you're like, man, that was scary. I blew out a tire on the freeway. I had to pull over and I had to change my tire. Like it was, it was rough. And like, they don't even let you finish the story. Like all of a sudden they, they like, all of a sudden they're, they're like, oh yeah, I did that one time. And like, it was way worse. Like it's like, oh, coming over the top of your story. Do you guys ever know anybody like that? Have you ever met anyone like that? Like I'm, I'm like, like I, I, I have a really good friend and he is totally like that. But he does it to try to relate like he's trying to relate to you. It's not like he's he's not like he's narcissist or whatever. No, he's really just trying to be friendly and relate. And a lot of times we do that when we're telling stories about ourselves, when we're telling these things, we 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 do this. But then it's really hard for us not to bring it back to ourselves. 
Do you guys find yourself doing that? Do you guys find, it, find yourself when, when someone's telling a story, you constantly bring it back to you? Because again, narratives shape how we see the world. So when someone else tells a story, I think, okay, how do I, how am I applied in the story? How, how, how am I a part of this? What does is, what is their story have to do with me? And sometimes just to be a good human, you need to let their story be their story. Like, let it be their story. Like you don't have to come over the top and you don't have to do that, but, but, but that's okay. When we look at the Bible, we find ourselves in the stories. Have you ever done that? You ever looked at the Bible and you find yourselves in the stories? When we look at a guy like David and, and all the mistakes that he made, but yet he, he still wanted to love God. He still wanted to worship God. And, and he, a lot of times when you look at David, David had uh, leaders that were coming after him. And so if you have a hard boss, you have a boss that's always trying to get you and like do whatever, like Dave, that was David. David lived through that. Or maybe you're like a, a guy in, in Judges named Gideon. And Gideon, uh, when, when God was raising him up and God was raising him up to raise up an army to, to defeat the enemies of, of Israel, you know where they found him? Like he was hiding out, like hiding from the enemy, like basically hiding in like the lowest point of his property, like just hiding there. And that's where God met him. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're just afraid of the world around you and you're just concerned. Or maybe, you know, we've talked about Peter and Peter always sticking his foot in your mouth, uh, in his mouth. How many of you guys are like that? I, I'm like that. I stick my foot in my mouth all the time. I just, you know, I'm a talker. That's what I do. You know, I just get my mouth ahead of my brain sometimes. We find ourselves in the narratives of Scripture. But what we must understand when we look at the Bible and this is what Jesus is talking to us about in Matthew chapter six. What we must understand when we look at the Bible is that the Bible isn't our story. The Bible isn't our story. The Bible is God's story. The Bible is God's story. The purpose of the text is never to exalt or puff up you or I. It's all about bringing glory to God. When it talks about us, it frames that talk in the context of the links that a holy and righteous God would go to love and save us. That's about how good God is, not about how good you and I are. Do you see the difference? Do you see how that works? And so when we see ourselves in the Bible, when we read the stories, when we, we, we see the narratives and we hear, you know, about the Davids, about the Gideons, about the Pauls, about the, when we see these things and we want to say, oh yeah, I, I see myself in that story. I see myself right there. We must understand that this is not about me. This is about God. This is God's story. It's not about us. It's not to lift us up. It's about God. Several weeks ago, we looked at Jesus teaching about us being salt in life, us being agents of change in the world, about how you and I can go into our world and make a difference and, and, and bring change, bring light, bring light into darkness, bring hope to the hopeless. When you and I are going through that, we, we read this and this is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your father who is in heaven. The purpose of our good works is to give glory to the father 
in heaven. That's the purpose of our good works. That's the reason why we do that. It's not about me making me look good. It's about me making God look great because of what happens is, is that me on my own, I, I'm going to mess something up. I'm going to stick my foot in the mouth. I'm going to be fearful. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do this. But anything good in me is because God put it there. And whenever I do good works now, I can do good works so that God will be glorified. Again, it's not my story. It's his story. The purpose of our works isn't to call attention to ourselves, but to bring glory to God. It's not our story, but it's his. There's a figure of speech. Um, I don't know if you've heard this. I, I, I say this all the time. When someone's doing great in life, have you ever heard, heard someone say, it's your world, I'm just living in it? Like, it's your world, I'm just, I'm just living in it. Like, you, you're doing great, man. Just keep doing what you're doing. This is amazing. It's your world. I'm just living it. As Christians, this should be our framework when we're talking about God. It's God's world. I'm just living in it. This whole thing, everything that God is doing good, it's God's. I'm just living it. I'm just, I'm just glad I get to be a part of it. I'm glad I get to be connected to it. I'm glad that, that I'm, I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the story. It's God's world and I'm just living in it. And this is what Jesus talks about. In Matthew chapter six, let's read what he says in Matthew chapter six, verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will not you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Why should we not call attention to the good works that we do. Why should I, like, man, I just did something cool. I just helped that person out. Like, why, like, I'm, that's a cool thing for me to do. Why should we not do like that? Why should we not live like that? Because we should not do anything that moves the spotlight away from God and onto us. We should not do anything that moves the spotlight away from God and on to us. And for some of us, this is like a this is like a pretty easy thing. Some of you guys like you're just you don't like the spotlight. You would just I mean, I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do the right thing. And, and I'm just going to keep keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And like, I don't want to be the center of the attention at all. Like, I just don't like being the center of attention. My wife is like this. My, my wife hates being the center of attention. Fifteen years ago when I was a youth pastor, I had her speak. One Wednesday night in our youth group, we had 120 kids and adults about that much. And I had her speak. And the whole uh, day that she was about getting ready to speak, she had a migraine. And then she threw up afterwards, like 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 just hates talking in front of people. Anybody else like that in here? Like like if I even a group this size, if I bought you up here right now and I said, all right, you need to talk in front of the whole group. You would just be like, uh, no, no, thank you. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I just don't like talking 
in front of people. Some people don't like the spotlight. Some people don't like that. And, and if you're ever wondering why you don't ever hear like Liz speak here, it's not like a little, it's not like a doctrinal thing. It's literally like I like being married and I like keeping her happy and making her speak. It would not be something that would keep her happy, right? So um, so anyway, it's, it's just one of those things where some people, they just don't like being the center of attention. They don't like all eyes on them. I, on the other hand, I don't, I don't get nervous talking in front of people. I never have. I, like, when God handed out those things, I, he just didn't give it to me. Uh, and that, that just wasn't something I have. But, I, you know, we should all be wary of being the center of attention. We should all be wary of being the center of attention. And we should all be quick to put the spotlight back on God. When we act for our own glory, God won't bless it. When you're trying to do good things for other people, whether it's giving them money, whether it's praying for them, whether it's giving them a word or, or encouraging them or whether it's, it's, it's supporting them or whatever. When you try to do those things for your own glory, God doesn't bless it. And you're only working and you're only going to be as good as your own talents are in that situation. Some of you guys are pretty good. You're pretty talented. You got, you, we all have talents. We all have gifts. We all have abilities. That's part of it. And you can, you can help people and you can make yourself look good in those situations. But what I want for my life and what I want for your life is I don't want you living out of a blessing that you alone can create. I want you living out of a blessing that God has over your life. And so if you're living your life in such a way to where you're trying to bring honor to yourself and you're trying to bring uh, glory to yourself and you're trying to get the spotlight on yourself and not keeping it on God, when we're living that way, we actually step outside of God's blessing for our lives. And if we want to live in God's blessing, we have to live for his glory at all times. There's a story in Acts chapter 19 about a group of men who uh, who did this very thing. They, they tried to do things spiritually for their own glory. And uh, let's, let's just read it in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were being carried away to the sick and the diseases left them. Evil spirits came out. Can you imagine that? Like the spirit of God was on this man so much that even like just like handkerchiefs that had touched him, like people that connected to those just items, like God was using that. So like connected to, connected to, connected to, God was still using those things to heal people. Then some itinerant, itinerant Jewish exorcists. So these are people, itinerant Jewish exorcists. That would be people who casts out demons for a living. Um, that, that's the translation of that, literally. Um, itinerant Jewish exorcist undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. 
So you can imagine these guys, they see Paul doing these great things in the name of Jesus. They see Paul uh, like uh, preaching and, and these miracles happening. And you see these people and they, they, they're building their livelihood. They're building their, their world. They're building their fame um, about, about themselves as a way, as a way of, of, of building themselves up. And so what they try to do is they try to take the name of Jesus on their own and they try to do these great things, but to build themselves up. And that's what the story of these guys, these guys were. But here's what happened when they went to this evil spirit and they said, I tell you by the name of Jesus, who Paul proclaims, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. This is seven different men. One man leaped on seven men, mastered all of them and overpowered them. And they fled out of the house naked and wounded. When you try to do things on your own, you will get whipped in the spiritual. When you try to do things on your own, when you're trying to, even if you say the right words, even if you make it like say like, well, it's, it's I'm going to use Jesus's name or whatever. When you're trying to do these things, but you're doing them for your own glory, you move yourself out of God's blessing, but you also open yourself up to God, to be out from under God's protection. And that's what happened with these men. As a follower of Jesus, God can and will do amazing things through you if you keep Jesus and God in their rightful place. But the second that I try to put myself there and I try to build myself up, guess what happens? I move myself out of that protection, out of that blessing. The Bible is full of stories of regular people just like you, just like me, who God does amazing things through. But you need to know this today. God will not share the stage with you. God will not share the stage with you. If the reason for your works is to show how great of a person you are, then you, like the sons of Sceva, are on your own. You're on your own. But if you want to show how great God is, then his promises that he will be with you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Jesus continues in uh, Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners and they, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. But don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. The other aspect that Jesus is talking about on giving in prayer here is, is, is about is and not only just making God the center of attention, but where does the reward come from? Where does the reward of this giving, where does this reward of this prayer come from? When I do things for the approval of man, trying to make myself look good in their eyes, the best reward, the best I can expect is the reward that man can provide. And usually that happens at that time. You ever heard the phrase, uh, yesterday's home runs don't win today's ball games? You ever heard that phrase? It's a phrase. We use it all the time at my work. It's like, hey, we could have done something great yesterday. Like, but today there's a whole different set of problems. And we're going to we're gonna have to win today's game. 
And so if, if, if I was a team and I was coaching a team and we, we won our first game of the season and that was it. Maybe we had a, a let's say we're playing baseball. We had one hundred and sixty thousand games left in the season. Right. Because baseball plays like so many games in the season. Right. So like, let's say that. But let's say we won our first game of the season. But for the rest of the season, we lost every other game. Are we a great team? No, we're not a great team. Yesterday's home runs don't win today's ball games. That's the culture of man. That's the culture that we live in. And so, listen, if I'm going for if I'm trying to get approval from someone else and I'm trying to live my life so that other people like me and other people build me up and other people do this. If I'm trying to live my life like that, guess what? You're going to have to live like that every day for the rest of your life. You're never going to get to a point because with people, with us, the memory's not very long. Yesterday's home runs don't win today's ballgames. But here's the thing. When we go and we live our lives for the glory of God, for the glory of Jesus. Listen, what Jesus has done for us is good for eternity. It's good for eternity. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords for eternity. And so there will never be a time where we have to continue to perform, continue to do, continue to achieve, continue to feel like we're not good enough, continue to do these things because Jesus is good forever. And so for me, I want to live my life. I want to live my life of giving and prayer in such a way that brings honor to God, because when I do that, I don't have to keep doing these things over and over again. I know that God is there for me and I have his approval. I have his approval. The best reward that you can hope for when you're trying to build yourself up is that the reward that man can give you in the moment. But when we do things for the glory of God, our reward comes from him in eternity. Not only does the father promise to reward us, Jesus says your father knows what you need before you even ask. Your father knows what you need before you even ask. So the promise of provision is there as well. There's a promise of provision there as well. So whenever you think you're trying to get uh, whatever you think you're going to get from gaining the approval of other people, the father knows what you actually need. The father knows what you actually need. So today, when we're looking at our lives and what Jesus is teaching us is when we're doing these things and when we're living this way, when we're living a way that is free of anger and lust and, and, and when our word is our bond and when we're bringing, being salt and light in the world, we're doing this not for our own glory and not for the attention of other people, but we're doing this for the glory of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says it this way. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, again, today, maybe you are tired. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you had a hard week and you need some encouragement. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, any participation in the spirit, we need the spirit's participation, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord of one mind. This is what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to their own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this in mind, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself 
by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Jesus left us an example of living a life that's to the glory of God, the father. Not to our own glory, not to build our own kingdom, not to fight for our own way. But we do things for the glory of God. And when we do things for the the glory of God, we receive God's blessing and God's reward. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you today for bringing us out of darkness and into light. God, we thank you for setting us free. God, for the, as we sang earlier, we were enslaved to our own sin. God, we couldn't find a way out. It was over us. It was oppressing us, but you came and you set us free. And so Jesus today, we thank you for that freedom. And God, we want to live a life that pleases you. We want to live a life that honors you. We want to bring salt and light into a world that is lost and dying and hopeless. But Lord, let it be for your glory. And if there's anything in us that needs affirmation, that needs encouragement, that needs comfort, that needs to be built up, God, I pray that your spirit would do that in us in private. That we wouldn't seek that from other people, but God, we would seek it from you. And Lord, when we meet you there in those places, Lord, you would prove to us that you are enough. And we would live our lives for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.